Okay, let's get started. Today is January 1st, 2023. Happy New Year. This is Sunday Morning Manga. I am Derek S. McGrath. My pronouns are he, him, his. I live stream here every Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern, Twitch and YouTube. A video recording will be available at youtube.com slash Derek S. McGrath. And an audio podcast version will be available later today at DerekSMcGrath.substack.com. You can you can read my writing on Tumblr, Medium, WordPress, Substack, all at DerekSMcGrath. And you can email me, Derek.S.McGrath at gmail.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider a monetary contribution. Putting together this stream takes a bit of work and your tips help pay down costs for setup and subscriptions. You can tip me, coffee.com slash Derek S. McGrath. Thank you for your consideration. The views and opinions expressed on this live stream are those of the speaker, me, and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent or any other person mentions. As with every Sunday, there's a reaction to a recent manga chapter, although this time referring to something from at least a year ago is hardly that recent, but it is topical for the new year, and the music just wraps up right there appropriately. This time we're looking at the New Year's Day chapter, chapter 27 of Maguchong God of Destruction. The series is written and illustrated by Kai Kamaki with English translation by Christine Daschle, and lettering throughout the series alternates between Erica Terraquez and Annalise Ace Christman. The series is available from Viz. You can read along with me today at the Viz website, viz.com slash shonenjump slash magu-chan-god-of-destruction-chapter-27-chapter-slash-21842. Link is on screen and in the description for the video and podcast, or you can Google it to get that very long URL I just read aloud. Links to the chapter and other content from today's stream are available on my website, DerekSMcGrath.wordpress.com. There's also a script for today's stream and all images for greater accessibility. You can read along right now to that script. And as annoyed as you are hearing it, I'm just as annoyed seeing it. We're not out of this pandemic, people, regardless what that once we from the CDC said about we can't stop COVID. Yeah, we could actually stop large sections of this problem we're still facing. So please mask up when going out or indoors and please get vaccinated and do better than I had done actually saying aloud, get vaccinated. I should have been screaming that from the rooftops earlier and I regret not doing that. More regrets later as we talk about other work we all need to be doing going into the new year to help one another. Before we jump into today's manga reaction, though, I want to touch upon two things. First, I said it a moment ago, but if you like what you're hearing, please consider a monetary contribution. Putting together this stream takes a bit of work, and your tips help pay down costs for setup and subscriptions. You can tip me, coffee.com slash Derek S. McGrath. 
And two weeks ago, I put out an emergency funding request asking for feedback on options for making it easier for listeners to make contributions to me to help pay for costs related to the live stream and increase costs for me, including paying for healthcare. I thank them again at the end of the live stream, although I think I forgot to put that in the script, so I'll have to go back to this slide in the moments, or rather at the end of the stream. But thanks to recent coffee contributors, Emily Lauer and Alec Roach. Sorry, screwing that up. It's the day after New Year's and still waking up after what's been a very long 2022. Alec Roach. Sorry, Alec. Thank you both for your support. I cannot thank you enough for your contributions. I had asked in the previous live stream about other funding avenues. I will have an update next week about what those funding options are, but I have added a new option to listen to this stream and support me. You can listen to an audio podcast version of the live stream now at my new Substack. That's DerekSMcGrath.Substack.com. Check back here next week. I'll have an update on other ways that you can help support the live stream. Thank you for your consideration. On to topic two before we get to today's manga reaction. Jeez, there was a lot of news in the past two weeks about returning anime. We got confirmations about new seasons of Blue Exorcist and Toilet Bound Hanako-kun, as well as a new season of Spy Family coming on the heels of the now... I guess the latest season just wrapped up. I am so behind on watching it. And yeah, that kind of ties into why I've been behind on watching it. And this is where I say something potentially inflammatory that is just empty clickbait. I'm not sure this anime is where it needs to be. And I'm not sure now coming out with a theatrical film is going to help. And yeah, I'm burying the lead there. In addition to a new season of Spy Family coming, they announced that there will be a, a theatrical anime film as well. And I'm a little burned out. Don't get me wrong. I think the manga remains really good. I'm not entirely sold on where the current manga arc is going. Spoilers for that, it's a bit more of a tense story, but it's still maintaining the same level of comedy that is needed for Spy Family, so it's not inconsistent, it's not doing anything different, it's trying to do another serious action-packed arc, this time with a little more focus on Anya's view of the situation, but my concerns remain with the anime, and those concerns have persisted since I saw how the action turned out in the initial episodes. And yeah, like I'm saying, if I'm going to criticize this when I'm largely judging this by what I saw in the first episodes as opposed to what is happening in the more recent episodes, that's not entirely fair. Or rather, not fair at all. I haven't finished watching the Fiona arc, the... Wait, was it? Yeah, it was a tennis match. I haven't finished watching the adaptation of the tennis match, but I'm not optimistic. I had written months ago a comparison of the manga panels and the anime's action scenes, and while we have to acknowledge that comics and animation are not the same medium, 
there is the challenge of adaptation that inevitably leads to a comparison of which version works better for that story. And how do you maintain the same flow and action when adapting static art in sequential images into a more cinematic narrative? And at least when it came to episode 2 way back months ago, I was not sold that the anime had the same impact in how it was representing something like yours attacks. Go back to episode 2, compare that to what I anticipate will have been chapter 2. The artwork in the comic has a better flow, or is able to take more shortcuts to represent just how powerful a kick your has. The anime has consistently felt like it just cuts away rather than showing the impact. I had done another comparison, um, I guess that would have been episode 3 to probably chapter 3, where we see Lloyd knock a purse stealer's head right into the sidewalk, and I know that saying that I'm expecting the anime to be bloodier than the manga, which, yeah, we're going to talk about violence and animation next week, and I cringe looking at it, but maybe that's also part of it, that a comic like this one feels like it can be more cartoonish in the violence, and the anime instead feels like, no, they're making actual physical impacts but then aren't willing to show that physical impact because of just how violent and gross it is. I don't know. It hasn't sold me as well in animation compared to a comic, and sometimes that's just the disadvantage of animation. You don't pause to look at every single frame, even though there are people who do that, which misses the point of animation, Whereas with a comic, you can pour over one image for minutes and hours and just be fascinated, intrigued, and appreciate what you're seeing and how it represents a, one action across one panel or multiple panels. You don't get that with animation when it's constrained by budget, more people participating in the creative process, and keeping it within a time slot that has to be the same every single week. So, what does all of that have to do with the announcement that we're also getting a Spy Family film? This is baseless conjecture on my part, but I really don't want to see the animators and the studios overwhelmed trying to handle both a new anime season and a new film as well. Now, granted, Maybe they've already scheduled it, that, okay, we spend this many months on the new season, this many months on the new film, one comes after the other, there will be a break in the anime, or vice versa, there will be a break in the anime while we work on the film. I don't know. I can't sit through the second My Hero Academia film as another example, and the episodes that were coming out at the around the same time, and not see a dip in the quality of those anime episodes that coincidentally came at the same time with the release of a well-animated but poorly storied film. I haven't seen in its entirety the third MHA film yet, but what I have seen has been just some animated sequences that were impressive, 
but were just spectacle as opposed to a clear progression of action. And a story that, as I read it, and grant this is plot synopsis, so it's not seeing the movie, it's just reading the description. It's a story that feels like it's still falling apart. And that happened to come out as a film around the same time that the My Hero Academia anime season just had some of the worst animation I've seen in the series. And a failure to improve upon in adaptation what was admittedly, I think, a poorly structured story coming out of the manga. Like, I'm sorry to fans of the My Hero Academia manga, but so much of the MLA arc and the arcs that came after and that we're still sitting through, spoilers for anyone who saw the leaks about the newest chapter, their stories built around characters making poor decisions, which, yeah, that can work in a tragic sense, but... It never strikes me with the MLA and after that characters are making decisions that seem like ones they would typically make. Instead comes across as the plot says so we gotta get these characters to this location. This is the decisions we are making. That was a diatribe, a tangent, gain off track. My point is, is that I'm worried that when I see a franchise get really popular how that can overwhelm the staff behind it and often I don't appreciate what I'm getting I really want to enjoy what I'm watching and a lot of this is my fault it's me thinking oh you could have done this instead and not appreciating well the reality is that's not the budget that's not the time and that's not what they were going for this is a road not taken approach. If you put in all this time on a new movie, what does that mean you could have done for the anime but didn't? What would I expect from a spy family film that could avoid some of these problems? The good news is that Spy Family has defined its main trio very clearly. Twilight, Anya, Yor we can expect how they would react in a given situation because we have been around the characters this long and even in that short amount of time they are so clearly defined yeah sometimes that makes them stock archetypes as opposed to feeling like more dynamic characters that are progressing i don't know some of it with the main trio feels like we have very well-defined characters, but we're not letting them progress because they have to stay within the confines of what that kind of a character is. I know all that sounds verboten. This is a series where we have seen character progression. Anya trusts her parents more. Twilight's stern demeanor is collapsing more and more. Yor is recognizing more and more her worth and is getting away from her toxic co-workers to become a happier person. But there is only so much you can do with these characters in a theatrically released film during an ongoing pandemic, where it's a luxury for fans and not something they can more easily access, whether by reading a free bi-weekly manga release at the Viz website, or watching on streaming, hashtag just a meeting, the point I'm making is the film would benefit or rather is going to benefit because Anya, Twilight, and Yor 
are fully fleshed out characters whose storylines and interactions will support whatever emotional and comedic weight there is to this film. But you're not really going to get them into a new stage in their lives in this film. Not when, more likely, that progression would be saved to happen in the manga or the anime where you want those changes to take place to have the largest audience possible see them happen unless you're My Hero Academia and decide we'll do this scene at the end of the second movie instead of keeping it for the manga which yeah I guess at some point I'm gonna have to do a rant on the live stream about My Hero Academia or not because I'd like to protect my mental health instead of just wasting it on something that I'm not getting enjoyment out of. Okay. If you don't progress the characters in a film, how do you still make a spy family film stand out as more than a luxury and a novelty? That is where world building comes in. You could tie in an anime film... Or rather, let me start over. When you have a tie-in film to an anime, it tends to introduce concepts, items, power-ups, locations that rarely factor into non-filler content in an ongoing manga or anime. It's one-off moments. We don't get to see much more than that. Sometimes you luck out and you get something more than just something that is filler. Sometimes you get a character that really stands out and is memorable. Like in My Hero Academia again, you get Melissa Shield or you get Roddy, or you get a location like I Island remains one of the more fun locations that originated out of an anime only element like the film and added something to this world. You can go back and read the manga and think, Okay, wherever... In My Hero Academia, it's pretty much confirmed that Endeavor's new costume came from Melissa Shield. There is the assumption that Izuku's equipment after the war arc came from Melissa as well because it came from overseas. Even if that's not confirmed, it's something that already exists that helps complicate and build up the world. I think we would see something similar happen in a spy family film. It's probably going to be a long time in the manga before we see Twilight and Yor involved in international politics outside the conflict between Astania and Westalis. But that doesn't mean the film can't show Anya, for example, pulled into shenanigans during a trip abroad. Or meeting a foreign exchange student from a country further away from either Astania and Westalis, where, yeah, if you don't see this one episode, or rather see this film, it won't affect how you enjoy the anime or the manga, but it enriches the story by giving you another setting. But then that poses its own problems. Spy Family has taken so much inspiration from Cold War stories where. The cultural influences are not coming only from Japanese culture, but also, in this case, German culture. What happens if the film was trying to tackle nations from other continents? How do you include characters from analogs of other continents without reducing them to stereotypes? I mean, granted, 
I don't think the series has quite done that. I haven't seen content where I'm like, that seems stereotypical about Germans or about people who are Japanese. And if you are having a spy family film with a Cold War bent, maybe that means you have an analog to the United States. It's one thing to rightly mock the United States for showboating and warlust, but how do you incorporate characters from analogs of other Asian countries and other European countries or from African countries or from other American countries without turning this into something that is visually offensive, that reduces bodies, attire, and customs to jokes? I'm not saying this to suggest that Spy Family has engaged in such offensive tactics when representing this vaguely German setting, but I have also seen enough mistakes from other political satires, whether they are from Japan, the US, or elsewhere, and they decide that being offensive is preferable to being accurate in its satire, and I don't want to see a Spy Family film deciding we're going to lampoon international politics and just reduce characters down to their culture and their attire and their food and their customs and turn this into a joke. Maybe I'm wrong on this point. After all, Spy Family is not quite that kind of a satire. It's not quite a historical drama around Cold War Germany so much as it is taking the most broad strokes from that conflict in an attempt to overly generalize what such concepts, or rather how such concepts, are applicable to time periods far removed from the 1950s to the 1980s and far removed geographically from just Germany. There is a lot of Germany in the series, but not so much that, I mean, look at how they chose to dub it into English. We don't have very thick accents on every single character. This is a series that can be appreciated across multiple national cultures because it's been that far removed from the Cold War while still keeping so much of the broad strokes of the events and the lessons learned. This is a series that is much more about family and the ethics of war and espionage. All of those, I think universal enough for most audiences and it's all that more than it is necessarily speaking to this particular historical moment in this particular geographic location and i could be wrong i mean i'm the one saying maybe this will be a story that is an international romp but what if it is instead just a romp that is contained within only Ostania or Westalis without touching on other parts of that fictionalized planet? But I do think the film, to justify its existence, aside from existing to make money and pleasing fans, it would have to offer something that the comics and the anime don't already offer. That would be a new location. I just hope that if that is what Spy Family does, that the journey to some fictionalized land is not to reduce parts of our real-world politics into window dressing for visual pleasure, something that ignores what this real-life location could tell us about how we look at intelligence gathering and warfare 
and speak out about what is wrong with spying on people and what is wrong about war. Or maybe the film is just going to be Anya lost in a peanut factory and then your punches out a Willy Wonka XP. That wouldn't be very engaging as a plot, but it'd sure be a cinematic spectacle. But enough nitpicking content that demonstrates far more talent than I'm showing. Let's move on to today's manga reaction. This time we're looking at chapter 27 of Maguchan God Destruction and get used to this slide because it's pretty much the only one I got for today's entire reaction. And I can already see I should have changed that to today's reaction since it's not really live because I already read this chapter repeatedly and already wrote up my script for it. But let's keep going. The last time I did a live stream reaction to Maguchan. It was about chapter 18 on October 9, 2022. For those who never read the series, a synopsis. Middle school student Ruru lives in a seaside Japanese town. One day, while combing the beach, she comes upon a tiny creature. This is the Lovecraftian god of chaos, Magmanuek, now reduced from his previous towering size to just this tiny, adorable, vaguely octopus-shaped creature. Thinking that this chaos god is cute, Ruru calls him Maguchan and adopts him like her pets, and Magu misunderstands this as he thinks that this is his new disciple in his cult of chaos. So, as the manga progresses, we have a question posed to us. Can this super-friendly middle school human and this undersized eldritch creature see eye-to-eye -eye on the differences between mortals and gods? This has wacky comedic hijinks ensue, as well as devastating emotional blows, in what became a compelling, gone way too soon before its time manga series. It ran from June 2020 to February 2022, it was written and illustrated by Kai Kamaki. The series was licensed by Viz with English translation by Christine Daschel. Lettering in different chapters by Erica Derriquez and Annalise Ace Christman. I don't know how many instances I had to do something before it becomes a theme, but this is the second time I talked about Maguchan during a holiday because first, I wanted to get myself a break from responding to new manga chapters. And second, I wanted to talk about a manga that unfortunately has no new chapters, but couldn't have lasted much longer. The previous holiday when I discussed Maguchan was during October, where we saw the characters realize how little they know about Halloween, and in the course of the chapter, slowly learn and mislearn how the holiday is celebrated in Japan. This time we're looking at a cultural difference across the United States and Japan again. Although this time it's me feeling like the titular character Magu trying to learn how the new year is celebrated in Japan. As we will see today in chapter 27 of Magu-chan God Destruction. You can read along viz.com slash jump slash magu-chan-god-of-destruction dash chapter dash 27 slash chapter slash 21842 or you can pull up the link it's on screen and in the description for the video and the podcast 
or you can just Google Maguchan Chapter 27 at Viz. This chapter is titled A Destructive First Shrine Visit of the Year. I know that sounds ominous, but this is a story about tiny chaos gods. This is a bark is worse than its bite situation. The chapter was written and illustrated by Kai Kamaki, with English translation by Christine Daschle and lettering by Erica Terraquez. Maguchan is distributed by Viz Media. On page one, we see three of our main tiny god characters. Maguchan, as you can see on the image on screen if you're watching the live stream or the YouTube recording, is puffed out atop a Kagami Mochi dessert display. Magu is shaped like the Mochi rice cakes with an orange atop his head, all of which is see at the top a Sampo styles. Huh. Sampo. So that's what Joel and the bots could have found. Anyway, corny joke aside, the starfish-shaped Naputaku is see at the top a Kadomatsu, a bamboo decoration, and I'm not going to pretend I knew what these items were by name at first glance. I know them from playing so much Animal Crossing and, you know, whatever else I read and pick up along the way. Finally, we had the Sea Angel Shapes God Chaos Mischief Entity Unaris, and she's holding a hexagonal walkie-talkie. I apologize, I am not recognizing what this object is. What is that? If you know what it is, please share it in the comment section. So, after this image display, we get to the first page of actual story, which is about how Ruru's mother has finally come home from her business abroad to spend the winter holidays with her daughter. Meanwhile, Ruru is bowing to Magu, not as a god, but as a friend, and giving him a Happy New Year gift of an orange and a ribbon. She thinks the new look is cute, while Magu is just happy to have his religious disciples showing her devotion to him. Ruru's mother enters to tell them to get a move on to get to the shrine to greet the new year, which gets Magu's attention because this makes him very displeased. Why, when we have seen in previous chapters that he has shown all of this incredible power, is no one worshipping him and instead going to a shrine with wishes and food? Magu intends to show these humans once and for all that he is a god worth worshipping. Big Norgami energy there, Magu. We see Magu release this power before, or rather we saw him release this power before where we see him divide his body up into these mini-me's through a technique called Morphalaxis. So, tiny little blob versions of Maguchan run throughout the shrine. I want to pause here and appreciate how much information we're getting in just five pages of this story. And even then, saying five pages is not fair, because one page was the cover image, another page is just a title page, this is more like just three pages and already gained this much content and moving that quickly from Ruru's house to the shrine in town. Think about everything already covered here. 
we remember that Ruru's mom is still in town. We get brief panels in the manga chapter with flashbacks showing Magu previously blowing up like a firework at the summer festival the last time he was at this shrine. And we have Magu upset that he is still not worshipped after he did that fireworks display. And he brings back an earlier superpower, Morphalaxis, without having to ex over explain to the audience what that is when we last saw it. This is the Maguchan series on its 27th chapter. The good about all this is that the manga now feels comfortable enough rushing through the main plot points without delaying too much on exposition or flashbacks. And the paneling, while nothing amazing, is serving the plot, the setting, and the characters. A good establishing shot of the shrine, Ruru bowing to Magu, and that takes up an entire panel. We get good close-ups of Magu when he's scheming and fuming, and pulling a lot of emotion, by the way, for a character who is just one eyeball and no mouth. Keep my paneling remarks in mind, given how the chapter is going to change into an activity book X design as we move forwards. But moving back to the action, we had the tiny Magus bouncing through the shrine, and no one is noticing. That's a bit of a miss for this chapter. I'm not going to start rewarding points to it. We'll get to how points are distributed in a moment. But a lot of bystanders in Ruru's tiny town are rather chill with the entire tiny Eldritch gods pop up here. Granted, this is largely a comedic series, but it is bothersome that when you're trying to establish a baseline for what constitutes normal in this series, we have almost no one shocked by what they're witnessing. It kind of undermines the joke, except insofar as usually Ruru or Ren, more on whom Ren is in a moment, having to play the straight man to Magu's wacky antics. I shouldn't be so put off by this as a violation of normalcy, though, because there was an entire chapter where our resident Final Fantasy-esque character Izuna is arrested by police for waving a sword in public, and the police are nonchalant about the whole thing, as if this is just any other day of their job. What helps that sense of mining comedy our people being rather chill about these bizarre events is the response we get from Ruru's own mother. She sees this happen. She sees Magu separate and she says it's like the seven Dragon Balls. Only that's not her exact line. Her exact line is, quoting the translation, quote, He split into seven and flew away. I bet once gathered together again, he'll grant us a wish. End quote. Big round of applause there to translator Christine Daschle. I don't know how much of this is Kai Kamiki's original dialogue retained in translation, and I mean that in terms of the phrasing. I appreciate a gag that requires thinking and isn't just having the dialogue literally say, like Dragon Ball. So, I appreciate Daschle taking this approach in the translation and not condescending to the audience. Ruru searches for Magu and comes across a familiar food stand. It's run by the brother and sister, Ren and Rin. 
and that means Ren's own God of Chaos buddy, Nabutaku, can't be far away. So, Ruru thinks, well, Magu doesn't really get along with Nabutaku, maybe he can draw him out. But when Ren points to Nabutaku, he's already drunk on Amazaki rice alcohol. And then Nabutaku tries to get Ruru to drink with him. And yeah, Ruru, I know how that peer pressure feels. Still creepy seeing that adult trying to get a kid drunk, or in this case, a adult figure in the form of a starfish monster trying to get a kid drunk. Anyway, Rin, Ren's sister, interrupts to point out that Magu already was hiding himself earlier. She spotted him amongst the candy apples, disguised as one of them. Once Ruru recovers this tiny piece of Magu, this tiny version of Magu explains he has hidden himself as various objects that humans celebrate on New Year's Day because he intends to get their well wishes for himself. This is when Ruru name drops Where's Waldo to clarify the rest of this chapter has an activity book conceit to it. So, yeah, unlike the Dragon Ball reference, this one is making the reference explicit. But I appreciate a change in pace to the manga structure. It's giving us a more entertaining search and find story structure. Ruru finds more tiny parts of Maguchan throughout the festival. She sees one trying to fight the lion dancer. At this point, Ruru's mother starts giving points. She gives 10 points as if this is a game, which, yeah, that's adorable. It's nice to see that Ruru's mom is so relaxed about all of this weirdness. I know I just said that having everyone in town be unreactive to this weirdness undermines the comedy, but having Ruru's mom be her own brand of weirdness helps clarify the setting. It's not that no one is surprised how weird Magu is, it's that everyone else has their own quirks as well. Ruru and her mother are at the altar anyway and suspend the search for a moment to drop their coins and make a wish until the sound effect on the bell's rope makes an odd moosh noise, which can only mean that Magu has disguised himself as the bell atop the rope. As much as I wish more of the chapter was like a literal Where's Waldo puzzle, I do appreciate how the gags are building on top of each other, requiring the audience to anticipate where next Magu could be hiding. We rush a bit through as Magu's mom keeps giving points for Ruru's discoveries, or are those points rewarded to Magu for his attempts at hiding? And then we rush to see Magu hen among the fortune slips, among the Daruman dolls, among Among Us, before we see he has hidden himself as Uneris and Izuma's shuttlecock. And it seems like this was more Izuna. Sorry, I'm noticing my own typo in the text. Okay, Izuma, not Izuna. Sorry. So, we see Izuma is acting more like a knight, or rather that Izuma, the knight, just wants to bash the wicked god around, rather than trying to capture Magu.
let me start over. I didn't read them right. In this scene, it's more like Izuma just wanted to bash the Wicked God around to capture him than it is that Magu is actually trying to hide himself to get people's worship. Like, we come upon the scene, and in all the other ones, Magu was just enjoying everyone giving him attention. At this point, this scene is just Magu getting destroyed. Izuma continues his assault on Magu, asking why he won't fight back. Now, you may think that, given how Magu has separated himself and how small he is, that he's in no shape to fight back, that his power is diminished. But remember, Magu also has a Napoleonic complex, and he thinks he's still too powerful for Izuma to defeat. This only enrages Izuma. But our attention moves away from this scene onto Ruru's mom, who is acting like a mom, while talking to Yuneris, who is acting like Izuma's mom, and the two bond over their wacky kids. Ruru tries to find the last piece of Magu when Yunera suggests that she can lure him out, as she points to the mochi-pounding activity nearby. Ruru calls out to the last piece of Magu, promising him tasty mochi if he shows himself. Too bad she said this in front of the other pieces of Magu she already captured, and all of them decide they're going to jump into the mochi vat and eat it up for themselves. As usual, Magu's review of any food is more about its texture and nutritional value rather than its actual taste. In other words, he's that one Wayun that befriends Odo over a slice of pizza in DS9. Furious that Magu would eat mochi he didn't pay for, Izuma takes the hammer and smashes the Magu mochi mix, reforming those Magu pieces into one whole again. But that still leaves the seven piece of Magu, which Ruru's mom sees is in the form of a kite that is flying over the festival. And this Magu is pissed that his other parts had mochi without him, so he stretches down and sucks up all of himself and the mochi. That's quite a sentence. But then he gets too full of mochi, and as happened at the summer festival that we saw in the flashbacks at the beginning of the chapter... He explodes into fireworks again, or rather into the first sunrise of the new year. Good foreshadowing of the ending gag at the beginning of the chapter. This is a pretty good conclusion. We get a decent callback to Magu exploding again from overeating, and hey, it happens at the shrine again. We have Ruru again going blank eyes in horror at how bad this has turned out. And as we continue the running gag of Magu being tied up with an apology note around him, like those internet memes of putting a sign on your pet when they screw up. Ruru tells Magu this is a punishment, but when Magu realizes that tied up and hanging around like this, he looks like the bell that worshippers ring for their New Year's wishes, he realizes he too can swing back and forth like a bell and get the moral's devotion, which pleases him, but defeats the purpose of Ruru punishing him. We wrap up this chapter with a sad note, however. Ruru's mom has to get back to work, and that means she's going abroad again. She thanks Magu for taking care of her daughter, but Ruru is still upset at him for exploding at the festival. 
but Ruru's mom says that he is kind and good with a friendly eyeball, quite some phrasing again, and that he means well. We end with Ruru reminding her mom that this is her home too, and she will take care of it until her mom returns. And with that, we wrap this chapter up. At the time I first read this, I didn't appreciate enough about this ending. A reminder that Ruru is having to raise herself when her mom isn't here. We don't get enough of Ruru's mom for my taste, but that's a problem of the series that ended way too soon. I'm not entirely sold where the story goes in later chapters, where we have Ruru's mom returning and insisting that Magu is like a father figure to Ruru, which I never quite got, seeing as so much of the story is Magu depending on Ruru, as well as to survive when he is so tiny. Maybe I'm not seeing it, and I'll see it another time. After all, seeing a parent saying goodbye to their child, it hits differently for me now than it did before. I first read this chapter before my father passed away, I read the chapter again after he has passed away, and a child asking their parents to come back to their home soon, with an image of the family photo album showing baby Ruru and her mom and her deceased father, that telegraphs to us that Ruru knows what loss is, that she doesn't want to lose more time with her mom. And it hints to how this series will wrap up in a bittersweet way, because this is a story about a mortal like Ruru and a seemingly immortal being like Magu. <sighs> That's a rough spot to end an otherwise comedic chapter. It's not too much of a mood whiplash to ruin the chapter, but it does add some contrast to what we just saw, what we're seeing now, and what we will see in later chapters. In that way, this is a chapter that encapsulates so much of what a new year brings. Hopes, maybe some fun, but unfortunately, potentially a lot of anxiety about what sadness and mourning awaits. Sorry to be a downer towards the end there, especially on the first day of the new year, but we gotta wrap up this chapter reaction at that point. So, I'll wrap up there. Thanks for listening to this week's stream of Sunday Morning Manga. What did you think of this New Year's Day chapter of Maguchan? Please share your remarks in the comment section or send me an email, derek.s.mcgrath at gmail.com. Music today included the tracks titled Los Angeles by Musa Production and Sunshine by Lemon Music Studio. Both songs are royalty-free and available at Pixabay. Links are in the video description. And if you like what you heard, please let me know. Contributions at coffee.com slash Derek are appreciated. Please include a note to let me know what you liked in the live stream and what you would like to hear more of. And if you thought anything in today's live stream would suit your website needs, such as news, commentary, or analysis of comics, anime, or larger pop culture, Please reach out to me via email, derek.s.mcgrath at gmail.com. I can adapt remarks from today's live stream into an article for your site. Additional job leads in writing, commentary, online broadcasting are welcome. Please email derek.s.mcgrath at gmail.com. 
and forgive me as I go back through earlier slides. Thank you again to coffee contributors Emily Lauer and Alec Roach. If you have a request of something for me to talk about in the Sunday live stream, please drop me a contribution in the coffee tip jar, $1 minimum. If it's something I'm comfortable covering here and is pretty much the same kind of content warnings as anything else I cover here, I'll consider it or I'll message you and we'll have a talk until we find something we're both up for me talking about. And if you like what you heard or didn't like what you heard, please check out other people's awesome stuff. There's the Pro Lab podcast, Black Comics Chat on Twitch last night for New Year's did, I think it was Action Man and Gem. Please check that out on their Twitch channel. There's also the writing of Jeff Harris. You can read it at post.news and please support his work in media criticism on PayPal and with his Amazon wish list. And there are illustrations that you can commission. These include art by the talented Golden Sun Deer. You can commission them. Their rates are listed on their social media, twitter.com slash golden sun deer. And appropriate for the winter season, they just did artwork for a new Soul Eater fan video by Air Regulars Productions. Link is on screen. I'll have to update the video description to include it there as well. Please check that video out at the Irregular Production Irregulars Productions YouTube account. And please look at Golden Sun Deer's commission rates at Twitter.com slash Golden Sun Deer. You can see on screen some of their artwork showing Soul Eater characters in the middle of a snowball fight. And may I share one other artist for you to check out? Ichi Rose is an illustrator and video game Twitch streamer. You can commission their artwork, twitter.com slash Ichi underscore Rose underscore. And watch them on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Eve underscore Chi underscore. Speaking of Twitch streamers, voice actors, directors, and illustrators Micah Solasad and Ayu host Friday livestream videos of their illustration work. A couple of days ago, they had a video. I already forget the name of the card game they were unbundling, but you can watch that to see their live reaction to opening up the card packs. They have a Patreon for their D&D-style isekai audio drama, Sudden Death, Sudden Life. That is available for $5 patrons at patreon.com slash sorry, patreon.com slash Studio. But before we wrap up today, there is so much I didn't get to cover that deserves mention, especially what has happened in the last two weeks. There are updates on unions, on public libraries being privatized or defunded, the inhuman treatments that immigrants are facing, the consistent demonizing of gay, trans, and queer people to try to send them back into the closet, and how Buffalo, where I used to work up in New York, has failed to prepare for that snowstorm and to manage the after effects, especially how that failure reflects the same racism inherent in its infrastructure, something that was obvious during the BLM protests that had an elderly man pushed back by cops and up to the top's grocery shooting and what that exposed about food deserts and racism in gentrification. I mean, 
this is silly for me to say all of this is not good because obviously all of this is not good. But I fail to see the easiest solutions that we can accomplish in a small amount of time. Only daily work can minimize such harm in the hope of eliminating these problems. I mean, how hard is it to support your union or fund a library and not more criminalization and needless policing? How hard is it to let people be who they are, their sexuality included, rather than making up lies acting like they are harming your children? Or how is it this hard to make sure New York has infrastructure to respond to natural disasters and ongoing climate threats? If I can offer only partial solutions, and these aren't going to exactly connect to everything I just talked about, please donate to Democrats running for local and federal office at Act Blue. There's an election coming up for judges in Wisconsin, and we need to make sure that Democrats are being elected in Wisconsin, that Democratic-leaning judges are elected in Wisconsin before they try before the Republican Party tries their attempts to subvert elections with trying to take over state legislatures and letting them decide the election as opposed to voters. That's not even getting into how the Electoral College is screwing that up, but that's a discussion for another time. Please donate to the National Network of Abortion Funds. Please donate to the University of California Academic Worker Strike Support and Hardship Fund. And please donate to the Southern Poverty Law Center. So, that's getting a lot of the serious stuff out of the way before we wrap up with what we're tackling next week. Next Sunday, I'm not quite clear what new chapters will be out. If I remember correctly, there will be chapters out on Friday, but not Sunday. So, next Sunday, let's continue this holiday break and not do another live reaction, but use the live stream to instead look at a recent anime and its manga that happened to be on sale a few days ago on Humble Bundle. Next time, I talk about all available episodes of the new or rather recent anime series Blue Lock. It's Danga Rampa meets Inazuma Eleven. I like one of those. I don't quite like the other. And yeah, if there's a live stream you want to skip, next week might be the one because I don't think I'm going to have as much good to say about this series. On that delightful note, until next Sunday, I've been Derek S. McGrath. You have a good afternoon. Bye.